Good morning, everyone. Joining us today is Representative Sarah Hannon. Sarah, what does a legislator do now with session done and no special session in sight? Um, well, you catch up in all the things that you've put off uh, during COVID, you know. Uh, I was telling you, I've got a backlog of niece and nephew weddings this summer. I think there's three in our family, just came back from one. You uh, catch up on constituent work, which you try and keep a handle on as a legislator year-round, but uh, it is the opportunity to try and reach out and help people with things. And, of course, you know, it's just summer in Alaska, which is always a frenetic pace of events. And I think especially after a couple of summers of few events and, you know, inactive that economic, pent up. It's pent up, you know, so everything's happening. You like know. celebration. Celebration. This weekend, Gold Rush Days, Juneteenth, June 19th, Twin Lakes Celebration, uh, June of Black Awareness Association from 11 to 3, uh, Saturday at Twin Lakes at 1 o'clock, a dedication of a commemorative plaque for Dr. Uh, George Brown, who was foundational in getting Project Pay a playground originally built. Um, you know, so some of those are things that happen every year, but maybe haven't happened for a couple of years. Um, so, and of course, let's just add on that we've had a glorious May and June so far. So everyone in Juneau is miserable with sun frenetic things of, you know, whether it's you got to paint the house or the garden's growing like wildfire or you feel like you've got a hike, bike, ride, um, you know. It's a fine time to live it, in it the capital city. It is a city. fine time to be in the capital city and in our region and being an Alaskan and um, seeing people with smiles on their faces. Yeah. So with no special session in sight, though, why do you think it, that's not the case? Uh, last year, we saw a flurry of them. Well, um, th I think there's a couple of things, you know, and I think first and foremost, it's a big election year, right? It's it's a gubernatorial election. Um, you know, every two years it's a House election, but this is a redistricting year once every decade. It's a gubernatorial election every four years. Because of the redistricting, 59 of 60 seats of the legislature up for re-election. Uh, one member of the U.S. Senate, and then, of course, our special congressional seat. So um, all of that, I think, intersects with we had to get our business done. Bills expire at the end of, you know, the life of a legislature is two years, and bills are alive for those two years. So that having a special session in between, in, a, in the middle of a, a two-year cycle, gives you the opportunity for some of those bills if they haven't made it all the way across, to put them into special session and and still try and move on them, um, I, I think fundamentally the other thing is we had additional revenues this year. Mm. You know, so we by the combination of federal monies, whether you know it's infrastructure project monies, we've got a capital budget for the first time since I've been in the legislature and first time in years. We've had uh, COVID relief monies. And then, um, you know, the war in Ukraine contributing to global price of oil being up, we, were n we are not in as desperate of a revenue 
picture as we've been in in a decade. So that means that some of the things that needed to be settled piece by piece in special sessions or attempted to be settled in special sessions last year, we were able to deal with. We were able to put money into a variety of things. Um, and so what have we heard on the budget so far? It's still at the governor's desk? It, it only went to the governor yesterday. Oh. Right. And so some, um, I, I had a meeting with some university people on the 1st of June and you know, we were only a week out from the session then. And they said, you know, why haven't we heard about vetoes, et cetera? Is it the governor? It hasn't even been transmitted. So. Um, well, I guess that's a lesson right there. It takes time to get it transmitted. It takes time because, and especially this was, quote, a more traditional end of session where we were there late nights with amendments that were pages long of, you know, bills, one bill being stuffed into another bill, budget amendments um, being stuffed together. The the proofreading of that is minutia and, you know, it is detailed work that has to be done in a very elaborate and detailed, precise fashion, because when you transmit it to the governor, that's it. That's that's the final version. And so legislative legal and legislative finance have to take everything that's done in those last 48 or 72 hours of chaos where they've been working on the amendments and coming across. And now they got to make sure that they are exactly as we voted on them and have proofread them. And we're talking about, you know, hundreds of pages of documents. And then it has to be engrossed. Then it gets transmitted. Um, I, and it was transmitted yesterday afternoon at about 2.30 to the governor. Then his clock starts ticking. Technically, he has till July 8th to make decisions on the budget and veto or not veto. But as you know, the new fiscal year starts July 1st. So I anticipate that we're going to see those decisions earlier than that because July 1st, the start of the fiscal year, if you haven't given your agencies their budgets, they can't continue to operate. Um, and things like, you know, fisheries. We have a lot of things that July 1... We'd be in shutdown. We'd be in shutdown, which is, you know, a year ago, that's what our threat was. We hadn't passed the budget, and if we don't have a new operating budget in place by July 1, then those agencies need to stop. And and again, with resources, that's things like, uh, you know, DOT not being able to go forward with a project, or Fish and Game, who does in-season management of all of our fisheries, you can't open if you if you can't keep your managers and fisheries people monitoring, counting, um, and issuing that in-season management, then the most conservative way is it can't operate. So we're not looking at that scenario. And I, I fortunately, yeah. fortunately, and although the governor could take to July eighth, I can't foresee any reason that he would that 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 backs his agencies into a corner. And so is there a key item you're hoping won't see the veto pen? You know, I, I don't I don't want to talk about vetoes. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm very optimistic at this point because we worked the, um, and again, I haven't been there a long time, but in the four years that I have been in, this year's budget product felt much more collaborative, that there was more engagement with agencies and commissioners um, you know, the executive branch than I've seen in the three previous years. Um, so in, instead of a, things passing that, 
you know, the administration had been saying no, no, no all along. Those things didn't get in there. If there was active opposition, we saw a lot more compromise and back and forth. So, oh, so there wouldn't be a surprise veto. So there wouldn't be surprise veto. Gotcha. Now that's, you know, maybe I'm still a little naive. But you're optimistic. (laughs) I'm optimistic that, you know, for instance, in the marine highway system, we worked really closely with the administration. You know, and and four years ago, the administration in this region really felt at loggerheads about the marine highway system and how we were going to fund it. Now, with the assistance of... Uh, Senator Murkowski at the U.S. Senate getting some money into some federal monies and us having him and um, transportation had a new commissioner and they had new people doing um, some engagement with the marine highway system. It does not feel, it felt much more collaborative about our discussions about how to fund the marine highway system, taking some federal monies, putting revenues aside, looking at... uh, keeping the vessel replacement fund intact to be able to get another vessel, mainline vessel planning, uh, going forward with replacement for the Tustamina. So I'll be surprised because the advocates from the Marine Highway System and DOT and the Marine Highway System have been so much more engaged together in that budget development, in those product guidelines. And... When the governor had made a statement regarding this budget, he'll say he'll look for money that can be saved from this oil wind savings from that can be saved from this oil windfall money and seeing if it can be captured. It's not very clear what he may mean or what oil might be at in the next fiscal year. Yeah, that you know that's one of our. Um, One risk or concern I have about the operating budget as we've passed it is our revenue prediction is based on our oil revenue prediction. It's based on 101, averaging $101 per barrel throughout the fiscal year. I think that's a very optimistic that uh, price per barrel for oil for a year um, and it seems to be sort of predisposed that we've, we've gotten to that high spike because of the war on Ukraine. And, um, you know, on, on the one hand, high price of oil is good for Alaska's revenue. It might feel bad for you as a consumer at the pump. But, um, you know, for our revenue stream, it's a positive thing. But, of course... It's not positive if it's on the backs of uh, world domination attempt by a, a, a Soviet fantasizer. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, we we cannot hope for the war in Ukraine to go on so that the price of oil stays high. But right now, that war continues. The price of oil stays high. And, um, you know, and that contributes to inflation. So there are many reasons why, in the one hand, we want that price per barrel to come down. But for our just on paper accounting of revenue predictions, it's a good thing that it's high. That's given us this budget that meets more of the needs than the last three years. And I know that there were no new revenue measures in this budget, but how necessary might you see that being in the future? 
Well, I'm going to say there there is a very small new revenue measure in the end. Um, Senate Bill 45, instituting a tax on vaped tobacco, yeah. passed. Now, we're talking that the prediction is only a cup, you know, one and a half million dollars a year. So it's not a substantial revenue stream. But it's a very small one where we are adding in a product that had not been taxed by the state into our taxation structure. We tax all other nicotine and tobacco products in Alaska. And I think it's a positive step forward. So addressing that loophole. Yeah. Yeah, that mm-hmm. carve out um, or that lack of vaping didn't exist when we last addressed n- tobacco taxes 17 years ago. Now it's in the taxing regime at a much lower level than I wanted it to be in it or uh, any other tobacco products. But that's that's the democratic compromise process. It's still being taxed. Um, we did not get a substantial movement on any substantial new revenues. Um, And that still will remain the major issue for the legislature to address um, because, of course, it ties into permanent fund revenues, you know, percent of market value draw that we are now using as our primary revenue stream and revenues to individual Alaskans via dividend. Um, And, of course, you know and remember that last year, one of the things that happened with all, during all the special sessions or post-special sessions was a fiscal policy working group that came together that had eight members from both both caucuses on in both bodies. Um, yeah, Senator Keel was part of that. Absolutely. Senator Keel had extra homework last year <laughs> um, and served on that. And, um, you know, we still need to work on it. We still need to. I think it still remains the crux of the major issues to help us move forward. We need to address that. Yeah. Very good. Well, we'll have more to ask the representative after the break. Stay tuned. And we're back with Representative Hannon. It'll be a different legislature next year. So what's your reaction to almost half of your colleagues not rerunning? Well, um, you, you know, it's it, you don't, we almost don't, we don't have time to talk about it in session. I certainly knew um, and understood for many members, it is a huge sacrifice to be in the legislature, to uproot your family or be away from your family. Um, and it's been a hard since I've been in it's it they've been very tense political times and you know life in the time of COVID didn't make things less for anyone Um, it it is an interesting year for me and I, I have not had the time to look back and go does that happen every redistricting you know every every decade is that more more likely to create a bigger turnover um, so I, I, I was kind of startled by how many people aren't rerunning. Um, and it's, you know, early on, you started hearing of, oh, there are a number of members who are ready to retire. And, and primarily it was sort of like, here's a handful of senators that we think will be retiring. They've been in for very long terms. And the speculation that one of the House members from that same district will move on up. And anticipated that sort of thought well there'll be here's a handful of people 
that we think will leave the House and run for the Senate because their senators aren't going to run because they're going to resign, retire Mm. after years and years and years in the Senate. I don't think that any of those Senate retirements that we speculated six months ago were going to happen are happening. Um, you know, there's a few, there's a few senators not rerunning, but some of, they aren't the ones that we sort of thought weren't going to run. And, and even what we saw with, with uh, coalition leader talk. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you get, you know, that's a redistricting issue where you've got member, two members of the same party who've been redistricted into the same one and trying to decide amongst them who the trade-off is. And, and you know, in representative talk, I you know, he has a young daughter who he's very close to. And, um, you know, when him saying that his daughter Penelope asked him not to run again, um, he wants to spend time with her. And, um, you know, I have the luxury of sleeping in my own bed during the session. And I don't, I don't take that for granted. I, um, my husband might think I take it for granted and probably need to be more appreciative and supportive of the extra chores that he picks up to keep the household functioning um, with long days during the session. But the idea that you're so far away from your family and supports, and it's, it is a very high number. Um, and But you chose to run again. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, this will be my third term if I get reelected or elected to a new district. I'm not really sure how we phrase that because my election district changes both in number and, and in some areas. But after four years, I finally feel like I'm getting a grip on the job and have the ability to be more effective. Um, Certainly didn't feel like that my first term where we ended in COVID and then, the second term. I believe it was, was once said it's like drinking from a fire hose. Right, right. And so now felt a little more comfortable and confident and l- more effective. Finally figuring out, feeling like I've got a handle on the job. So um, I want to continue to do it. But I didn't have any major COVID loss in my family. You know, I. We didn't, we didn't have any deaths. We didn't have any long-term COVID cases. And I, I'm not saying that that's the reason that s- people aren't there, but it impacted people, you know, because um, it's not just the elected person who serves. It's their family and their extended family. And those family circumstances change whether we know it at the public layer or not. And I think for many of the people who've chosen to step away, that's the evaluation. What are they missing out on from their family? Um, You know, and I, when uh, Representative Jonathan Christ Tompkins, you know, who had been the youngest member of the body when he was elected, he's served a decade. And so it shouldn't really surprise people that after a decade in the House of Representatives, I think in the comments he made, um, he's you know he never intended for this to be his life. His he, you know he's young enough; he's going to try something out. He's in his early thirties, and he started in his twenties. He started <laughs> you know at twenty twenty one twenty two. So um, you know it, if you're not going to be so entrenched that you don't do anything else then this is a logical time. A decade is a good long time to serve. Um, 
He served on that fiscal working group plan. Um, the year before, 2019, he served on a special uh, permanent fund working group plan. Um, so I know that he's, he's served extra seasons in the 10 years he's been there. In the four years I've been in, I can think of two major interim groups that he worked on. So um, I knew that in the last couple of years he bought a house and in Sitka and, you know, we all in These South, are all personal factors. Personal factors, yeah. yeah. So even ignoring vitriolic political environment, you go, people have lives. And, you know, we all know beautiful Sitka by the sea. <laughs> and if you don't, if you don't get to live in that beautiful place when you own a house and live there, then what's the purpose of, you know, so, and I don't know um, exactly why Jonathan isn't running or actually with any of the members. I've sort of laid low of, well, the other thing is it's been a frenetic June, but, um, you know, pe- it, it, people evaluate it and you really do have to you have to be enthusiastic and in with both feet pulling ahead because the job is too hard to do, even in the best of circumstances. So as we're wrapping up here, as you're taking the time to, like you said, take a quick break here, are there any bills that's been rolling around you're thinking of to propose in the next legislative session? I believe it'll be the 33rd. It'll be the 33rd. Well, there are a couple bills um, that I've had since I first got elected that aren't resolved. You know, one on uh, additional revenues, and I have an income tax bill that is the income tax plan that passed the House in 2017. I think that talking about revenues is still one of the major factors that 33rd legislature needs to address. Um, Senator Keel and I have had companion legislation on PFOS pollution, PFOA, just Yesterday or the day before, this week, the EPA has come out with new standards that are um, a four, in most cases, a fourfold decrease in the safe water standards. And um, whether we have legislation and statutory uh, standards or not, we're going to see a lot of work in D- from DEC to adopt, you know, they need to adopt those new standards and regulation. And we're going to have a lot of places in Alaska where we had tested wells and said, oh, they're safe, but they're not safe under the new EPA standards. Mm-hmm. And um, it is an issue that, again, whether there's legislation to address it or not, it's it's an issue that four and a half years ago I knew virtually nothing about. I knew that. I knew the phrase, but I didn't really understand it. And the more we learn, the more concerning it is that the long-term health impacts and ecological impacts for Alaska are significant and we have got to get PFAS pollution and PFOA pollution cleaned up. We need to stop uh, allowing it to pollute and we need to make sure that you know, we don't end up where we can't eat the fish from our rivers or eat the meat that we've hunted on land because it has pollution mm. that we've known we know about so um, that is an issue that I really hope that we see some significant movement on over the next two years so representative in wrap up anything you'd like to add it's <laughs> summer and and everyone needs to get out there and fish and berry pick because it's good you know right now it's 
pick those flowers. We're a little past fiddleheads and nettles, but um, boy, the berries are looking like they're going to have a, a big batch as long as we get some moisture. Um, and, you know, enjoy the summer because we've waited a long time for a summer with a smile on our face. So, um, well, I'm going to go out to my secret berry picking spot. Thank you, Representative. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Well, that's the program. Thank you for tuning in this June 16th. We'll be speaking with Juno City Manager Rory Watt on the next program. So be here for that. This is Kevin Allen signing off.